looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Howard. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 64 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to have you back for another incredible episode. And this one is perfect. That's right, it's going to be perfect. We've got Carol Baskin with us. That's right, Carol Baskin, CEO of Big Cat Rescue. You may be familiar with Carol from Tiger King or Dancing with the Stars. And she's here to talk to us about all the great things she's doing to help save big cats from extinction and all the great things we can do to chip in and help as well. And that conversation's coming up in just a few minutes. If you're like, Jeff, we love saving animals. We love hearing great tales of how people help animals. Well, you're in luck. You're in luck. We've got two other great episodes for you to check out just after this one. Dive into the archives at episode 50 with Bert Ward. Talks all about his Great Dane rescue. Bert has rescued over 15,000 Great Danes in addition to being Robin from Batman. And then also dive way back into the archives, episode four. Lance Gould was here to talk about World Environment Day and specifically saving the elephants. Elephants, dog, cats, it's just a matter of time before we cover all the animals here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. But in the meantime, sit back and get ready for the conversation with Carol, I promised you, and that's coming up in just a few minutes. I do want to take a second to thank everyone who likes, subscribes, and follows Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show on your favorite podcast platform. It means the world to me. It also means the world when you tell your friends, when you tweet, when you post on Facebook, when you Instagram, when you do any of those things and say, I love Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Everyone should also listen to this amazing podcast. Thank you all for doing that. If you go to jeffisfunny.com, you can click on a link that says follow the Jeff Dewaskin Show. It has links to all the podcast platforms. You can choose your favorite one and be notified every time a new episode goes live. You can also sign up for my mailing list. I send out a mailing list every week. Who wants to miss that? Not me, not you. Believe me. FOMA, you gotta get this. You gotta get it. Last week also I did a shout out to my fans in India for shooting me up the podcast charts there. I do want to thank Japan, Hungary, and Poland for stepping up and putting me on their podcast charts as well. Come on all the other countries. France, UK, Ireland, United States, States. Come on. I know you're there. Come on. Let's spread the word. Also, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. Just search The Jeff DeWaskin Show on YouTube. Follow my YouTube channel and you'll be alerted every time I go live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Crossing the Streams. That's me and a bunch of friends. We're talking about shows you should be watching on the streaming channels. Great shows, great movies, things you shouldn't be missing, or and sometimes things you should skip. So check that out as well. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right, this is the fun part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. I hear things on the street, little 411 on the social medias, and I like to share them with you. Today's tip focuses around scheduling posts, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. 
Bunch of cool programs out there for you to choose from. Buffer and Hootsuite, you can schedule across multiple types of platforms, and they're real handy. Buffer, if you want to schedule posts down to the minute, and Hootsuite's good if you are okay with just on five-minute increments. For Twitter, there's other options as well. You have TweetDeck, which is actually part of Twitter, tweetdeck.twitter.com if you're on a desktop, and you can schedule tweets right from that, or right from Twitter desktop itself when you're creating a tweet, you have the option, hey, I'm going to send this later. So you can choose that as well. It's just a really good habit to get into to to think your strategy for the week. And a lot of times you can just post things ahead of time. If you know it's fancy sock day coming up and you have a picture of fancy socks and that day is coming up on Thursday and it's Monday, just post it and schedule it on Monday for Thursday. And then on Thursday, when all of a sudden everyone's like, you got the best socks in the world. You're like, what? I don't even know what you're. Oh, I scheduled that on Monday. That's right. So great things await you with these scheduling tools. And you don't have to pick just just one. I use different ones for different things. Get to know them. See what works best for you. And that's the social media tip. I do want to take a quick second and thank all of you for your constant support of the sponsors week after week after week. It means the world to me. It really does. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us. And that's how we keep the lights on here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. This week's sponsor is Tampa, Florida's very own Cool Cat Cafe. Feline hungry? Well, you're in luck because the Cool Cat Cafe's got everything. Start your day off with a cup full of cat fiend. Need something stronger? How about a meow teeny? Shaken, not purred. Ready for lunch? Dive into some pasta with our special catsup sauce. Perhaps a vegan hamburger's your style or a delicious burrito. Sushi your thing? Well, we've got the freshest. Choose from Tamiago, meow nagi. Or a California roll. Full but ready for dessert? Well, you can finish up with some Mice Krispies full of marshmallows, a mice cream cone, a chocolate mouse, some feline pie, and our specialty, a parfait. And the Cool Cat Cafe's prices are the lowest in town. We're not kidding around here. But don't ask me how we do it. So if you're feline good and ready to party, check out the Cool Cat Cafe where everything is made from scratch. All right. That sounds amazing. Oh, I wish I was in Tampa right now. I'd check out the Cool Cat Cafe. If you're in the area, definitely check out our sponsor. Show them some support. Show them some love. In the meantime, I think that's a great segue to my conversation with Carol Baskin. Enjoy. All right, everybody. I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest. Carol Baskin, American Big Cat Rights Activist, CEO of Big Cat Rescue. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's so good to be here with you, Jeff. Oh, it's so great to have you here, Carol. It's so fun. One thing I just wanted to kind of get out of the way, and then I want to hear all the amazing stuff you're doing with the big cat, but I'm, I'm really interested in like how you got sucked into, I guess, the Tiger King show. It's funny, normally, like if I'm doing an intro, I would have been like, and I, was, and I was writing it out. I'm like, well, I can't say you loved her and tight. You know what I mean? A normal credit might have been like that. And I'm like, I didn't know how to even frame it. They did you so wrong. What's the origin of like how you even became part of this show? We actually started the sanctuary in 1992, Rescuing Big Cats. And from that day forward, anytime any media group came out or the newspaper wanted to come out or magazines wanted to come out or people that were said they were filming shows wanted to come out, we would take them around, show them the cats. We always did it at no cost. And for the people that were really seeming to do working on something 
that was extensive where, and you can tell from the kind of questions they ask. And so we would work with them as long as they wanted. We invited them back time and time again. Anytime they wanted to come out, we would open our doors to them. And we've always done that with all of the media outlets. And so we've never been betrayed by a producer before. And we were utterly shocked (laughs) at what they did with what they told us they were working on because we've worked with them for five years. And during that same five-year period, we were working with Mike Weber, who just came out with The Conservation Game, and it just aired at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival and won the Social Justice Award there. And it actually talks about how the big cat crisis got started in America. We were also working with another guy by the name of Michael Samstead, again, during that same five-year period. He was creating a film called Hidden Tiger, where he talks about the extinction of the tiger. And our role in all of those things are to educate the producers about what the problems are, who the bad guys are, who the people that are really trying to save the animals are, and to give them a full understanding of how private breeding of big cats is actually causing their extinction in the wild, because that's not an easy concept for people to wrap their heads around. And so for the five years that we were working with Rebecca Chakeland and Eric Good, who created Tiger King. They said that this thing was going to be called Stolen Wildlife. And they showed me a sizzle reel and a pilot that they did. And all of it was along the lines of what they told us they were working on, which was showing that all of these people are breeding these exotic cats, treating them wretchedly, and then they disappear or end up being killed at the end of their usefulness when they reach about 12 to 16 weeks where they get dumped into private hands or sent off to the equivalent of puppy mills for tigers. And so that's what we thought the show was going to be about. And when Netflix started doing, you know how they do like teasers of this is coming up, right? that there was this show called Joe Exotic, what was it called? Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. We contacted him. We were like, who's working on that show? Because usually all these people know everybody that's working on all the other shows. And all of a sudden, they didn't want to talk to us. We were just as shocked as anyone at the train wreck that that show was because it was nothing like it was being portrayed to us. It was not favorable to you. It was um, episode three, which I had to, I know you have a whole, on your website, you have a whole minute by minute kind of recap. I had to, I rewatched it. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone watched it. It was the timing of it to come out during the pandemic when everyone was home. It was like, I mean, it's it's probably one of the top three shows watched during the pandemic of pandemic viewing. I rewatched episode three last night because I knew we were going to talk. And after watching some of your commentary on it and all that kind of stuff, and I like everyone was caught up in the show. I got to admit I was, but rewatching it, hearing your words on your site and and knowing we were going to talk and rewatching it. And like just the things where like they talk, they say something bad about you. Then they cut to some random shot of you looking kind of stern in a rear view mirror. I realized, oh my God, this whole thing was such a manipulation. This is insane. You don't realize I was, you know, we're all home. We're worried about a pandemic. I'm not, not really worried about being controlled by Netflix, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe we should be after seeing that. I'm glad that you did that because I really wondered if people, when they went back and watched it, would actually pick up on those things. So it's good to know that it works. I think when you go back and you watch it, you realize, oh, my God. I had ever heard uh, an interview with you or maybe it was was your husband, Howard, who were talking about how this was pitched to you as like a blackfish, Mm -hmm. which was an amazing 2013 movie about killer whales and and SeaWorld. And I could see where if they came to you and said, we're going to do blackfish for tigers i could see where like this is something that you'd be like oh we're all in because this is your thing right yeah 
That's exactly what they said and exactly what we thought we were working on all that time. And wow. (laughs) (laughs) When I rewatched it yesterday, I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is about as far. This is more like Desperate Housewives. (laughs) This is like, I don't know what this is. Episode three, they spend an hour. I imagine to this day, you're still living this down, is just painting you as the villain of the series. And for some reason, Joe Exotic is this weird hero because the end he's like i'm coming for you carol i'm coming for you like oh my god my heart goes out to you well thank you that's why i'm excited to talk about all the amazing things you do and share that with as many people as i can share with i'd love to start with the federal bill that you're trying to get passed because i think that's a good kind of thing to kind of bounce all the other things off of it's a good pivot because it's where it's one of the end goals the big cat public safety act can you tell me a little bit how how that evolved, how where we're at with it, and what needs to be done to get it passed? The Big Cat Public Safety Act is the primary reason that all of these animal exploiters hate me. And it is the reason that they sit around and try to devise ways to kill me, to shut me up, to silence me, to bully me into stopping this, what has been a very, very productive and very fruitful effort. So back in You know, when we first started in 92, that was before the internet, we didn't know anything about exotic cats. And so we did a lot of stupid things. The only people we could turn to for information were the breeders and dealers, because when I called our local zoo up and said, how do I feed all these bobcats and lynx I just rescued from a fur farm? They just hung up on me. Once the internet came along, that's when we learned that none of these cats in private hands were ever going to be set free, that they don't serve any kind of conservation value. And in fact, they create a legal smokescreen for illegal activity like poaching. And that's why it's causing the extinction of the tiger in the wild to have all of these unregulated people running around with big cats. I first started out trying to educate the breeders and dealers who were my husband's friends and people that he hung out with. And when I say my husband, I'm talking about Don Lewis, not my current husband. And they didn't want to be educated. They knew (laughs) that none of these cats could ever go free. And they knew that they were not serving any conservation value. They were just in it for the money. So there was no way to educate them to behave better. And so what I realized was that the only way we were going to fix this problem was through legislation. And do you know who Tipia Hedron is from The Birds? No. There was a film back in the 60s called The Birds, and Tippi Hedron was the starlet in that. And she ended up starting her own sanctuary for big cats after a really stupid idea that she had about making a film using a bunch of lions and tigers in it. And then afterwards, she realized there was nowhere for the lions and tigers to go. So she started a sanctuary. But she, like me, over the years learned better and stopped doing the stupid things that she was doing. And I stopped doing the stupid things I was doing in the 90s. And she had petitioned for a federal bill that she called the Shambhala Act because it was named after her sanctuary. But essentially what it would do is end the private ownership of big cats in America. And it takes several years. We have a two-year Congress. So it takes a couple of, you know, many years actually to get a bill through Congress, especially something like that where it doesn't affect a lot of people. So we started petitioning for that bill in, I think about 1998, 99. And it finally passed in 2003. But whenever you get a bill passed through Congress, you have to make a lot of concessions in order to make that happen. And so some of the things that we had to give up were had to give up on private ownership. We had to give up on the cub petting. 
And so the Captive Wildlife Safety Act passed in 2003, and we were having to turn away at the end of that year 312 big cats, in addition to the ones that we were actually able to save. And there was nowhere for those cats to go. And every other year, that number was doubling. And so when that law passed in 2003, it actually passed unanimously in a Republican-controlled House, Senate, and it was Republican president, which was astonishing. You would expect that in a democratic environment, but not in a Republican one because of the states' rights issues. But at any rate, it passed. And immediately, instead of having to turn away five or 600 cats the next year, it dropped for the first time ever. And it dropped to like 160. So that was the wake-up sign to me that that's what we had to do. We had to legislate our way out of it. There was no way we could educate our way out of it. We have been trying since 2003 to close that loophole that allows private ownership and that allows the cub petting. And it's the cub petting that drives all of the breeding, exploitation, and then discarding of the cats either into pet homes or killing them for their parts. So the end of last year, we got a, for the first time ever, we actually got it before the House for a vote and it won with a two-thirds majority. And so the only thing we had to do, and this was like December the 13th, I think, was get it before the Senate, before the end of the year, and the Senate didn't call it up. So we had to start all over again in January. But we're up to, I think, 198 co-sponsors in the House now and 24, I believe, in the Senate. And we're really, really hopeful. We're We're like all fingers crossed that in the next week or so, we'll get another hearing in the House. And then when they come back from recess in September, we hope to have the Senate take it up. So we're really thinking this year is going to be the year. We thought it was going to be last year, but we had COVID and Tiger King and the election and then the insurrection. (laughs) It was like, it just couldn't happen. But this year, it's going to happen. Let me ask you a question, Carol. So it stops the petting. Does it stop just new ownership or would people have to give up their cats if they already have a cat? No, any law that I've ever worked on has a grandfathering clause. So you can keep the animals you have. You just can't buy or breed more. Now, the one thing that people always object to when these laws pass is you have to register them so that at least the government knows where they are. Because right now they have no idea how many tigers are in America or how many lions or leopards or any of those other cats. And so they would require that you tell the government, I've got six tigers, four lions, three cheetah, whatever it is, so that they know whether or not you're buying or breeding more. But aside from that, it wouldn't change for them at all. And I saw on your website, which by the way, everyone, uh, is bigcatrescue.org. I watched a video and it said, because America doesn't have any grasp of where our tigers are or numbers are, that we can't really lead in the world because no one will take us seriously. You did a lot of research. Carol, I don't mess around. I'm talking to Carol Baskin. Yeah, it is not very often that I talk to somebody that has done that kind of research. So yeah, that's the biggest problem because China has taken the position that because the tiger is so close to extinction, there's less than 4,000 of them or right around 4,000 of them known to be left in the wild. China has taken the position that they should be allowed to farm tigers just like we farm cattle. And the way that they do that in China, because of their beliefs about euthanasia, is they don't believe in euthanizing animals. So they believe it's okay for an animal to die of natural causes. So what they do is they breed the cubs, people come and pay to pet the cubs, to play with the cubs, to see the cute little cubs. And then they put them into these little concrete jail cells where they starve the cats to death. 
And that way it's natural for them in their belief system. And all they want are the teeth and the bones and the penis and the skins. And so they don't care about whether or not the cat's got flesh on them. And I think that if people understood that, they they would absolutely be appalled. And even though it's illegal to sell tiger parts in China, they are trying to legalize it. And if they legalize it, it will be the extinction of the tiger in the wild because it normalizes the idea of being able to buy those products. And anybody who can afford to buy tiger teeth or tiger penis, they want the most virile version of that. They want the wild product, the premium product. They don't want some inbred cage-raised tiger. And so that puts even more pressure on the cats in the wild. And China's banking on that. When I say China, it's not just China, it's Thailand and Laos and all of these places. They are banking on the extinction of the tiger because they have literally thousands of these tigers in these farms across their different countries. And then they can control the value of those products. So when the U.S. goes to CITES, and I sent my daughter and her then husband was our vet, I sent them to CITES and they did a big event there to raise awareness about tiger bone wine, which is the primary product that tigers are used for. They take the bones and then they seep them in rice wine. And then those bottles of wine are then usually given as bribes to to officials. So it's the whole system is just so corrupt. And so we went there to try and educate all of these other countries as to why we needed to really crack down on these countries that were mass producing tigers for this industry. And they just laughed at us and said, you don't even know where your tigers are. At least ours are in these sanctioned farms. So until we clean up our mess in America, we have no ability to influence the international stage or to end the tiger farming practices that are causing the extinction of these big cats. And I was just reading this morning about how that they're using lion bones for tiger products and jaguar bones. So every country is losing all of their beautiful, majestic wild animals for this trade in their parts because you can't tell when it's seeped in rice wine what kind of animal that was. I was going to ask you about the tiger bone, but I got to admit, the only thing going through my head right now is I got to ask, what would someone buy a tiger penis for? Virility. On our website, bigcatrescue.org under tigers, there's actually a chart that shows like every part of the product, every part of the tiger is a prized product eyeballs, the whiskers, everything. But obviously the penis is something that is used as a substitute for Viagra, even though none of these things have any kind of proven value. And the traditional Chinese medicine, I want to say industry, but that's not the right word, but they have spoken out against the use of tigers. And yet it's not a medicinal thing or even a cultural thing. It's a luxury product that is used to trade to show that you have that kind of power, that you have the power over the tiger. Wow. Okay, great. Hey, for those running to Amazon right now, don't. I just bought all the tiger penis. It's there. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Carol, this is this is incredible. Okay, so let me ask you a question. What is the demographic of someone who would own one of these giant cats? And let me preface by saying I watched a video on your website of a seemed like an older guy getting dragged hard by a lion, like they grabbed mauled by the lion. And uh, there's a warning. <laughs> Video said, warning, man's getting mauled. I watched it anyway. And uh, and here's another thing that's in the back of my head and why I'm asking this question. I was out west. I'm biking. They're telling you all about bears when you're out biking, right? You know, hold the bike up, do all this kind of stuff. We're biking. On the path, I see a print of a 
cat, probably a lion paw in the in the ground. And I said to the guy, oh, you talked all about bears. You didn't mention lions. What happens if you see a lion? He says, oh, Jeff, if you see a lion, it's too late. <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> Carol, when I tell you that's haunted me, and that was 11 years ago, that's haunted me ever, ever hearing that ever. And you would never see them coming because they could leap like 20 feet through the air. You just get knocked to the ground and that's the last thing you ever saw. Exactly. So who is buying and housing these? Even like you read stories like, yeah, they cuddle and they, and it's probably not good. I'm sure like when you see the video of, well, I shouldn't speak for you, but like if you, if you see the video, that guy going into the wild and the lion gives him a hug, it's like, it's got to like set the wrong tone. Like that's the, there's got to be the uh, exception to the rule. <laughs> well, it's not even that. It's that the lion that he's cuddling with is still a cub and people see that lion and they think, wow, that's a huge lion. That thing must be like 400 pounds. Yeah, but it's still under five years old. And so it's still just mentally a kitten. And well, there's two things going on. One, to answer your question, I think the reason that people are attracted to owning these apex predators is the same reason that people want a tiger penis. They want to be seen as having dominion over the most magnificent animal on the planet. And if they can show that they have dominion, they can force that animal to walk on a leash. They can force that animal to sit in a cage and eat whatever they give to them. They can force that animal to let them interact and hug and do all of that crap for social media up until the time that the cat becomes an adult. Anyway, they can get away with that. And that's why there's this constant turnover because they have to keep getting new cubs because they don't want the cubs to be too little when they're doing that. They want to look like they're powerful, but they can only use in a very small window. And kind of like what you said about there not being a warning, it's like, that doesn't come with a warning either. You don't know if your cat is going to be sexually mature at three, four or five. And I think that's what happened to Roy Horn of Siegfried and Roy. That cat had just turned, I think, seven. And that was kind of late in life for the cat to finally become who he was. But I think Roy had gotten too accustomed to this cat putting up with him. And then the cat became who he was meant to be. And it was all over. The other aspect of that is the notion that you have some kind of that you're special in some way. And people want to be perceived as being a lion whisperer, a tiger whisperer, and that they have this special bond that nobody else can have because they understand the psyche of the cat. It's just utter crap. It's only because it's a kitten that it's allowing them, to, it's putting up with them and doing those kinds of things. And as soon as that animal becomes an adult and who they really are, then all of that is just off the table. So it's just about dominance over an apex predator. Okay, I get it. People would, would do that, probably pay the price many times. Okay, so part two of the federal bill is to stop petting. There's a lot of the petting stuff in Tiger King as well. And I was reading uh, at the website on all about why not to pet and all that kind of stuff. And can you give us the quick 101 on why tiger petting is bad? The people who do it say that the reason they do it is because people have to love and connect with wildlife or they won't protect it. And that's BS, because that's what zoos have been telling us for 200 years. They say, come see the cute little baby on display, and it's going to make you donate to the zoo and donate to conservation. And that's how we're going to save the animal in the wild. During the 200 years that we've been using that model, we've driven nearly every single cat species to the edge of extinction. So that did not work. And the reason that it's so bad to be petting these captive-born cubs is because USDA did kind of a dumb thing. But what they tried to do 
was to say that any kitten or cub that is under the age of eight weeks, it needs to be with its mother. It needs to be raised by its mother. It doesn't have the immunities against all of the different kinds of diseases that they can catch from us or from other animals. And if you wait until it's eight weeks old and it's had its vaccinations, then you could allow the public to pet the cub. Well, if you leave a kitten or a cub with their mother for even two weeks, it'll be like trying to pet a feral cat. It is going to tear you up because that mother, even though she may have been bottle raised herself, she is going to teach those cubs to fight, to bite, to scratch, to kick, to do everything they can to get away. So that's why they pull them as soon as they're born. And then they usually end up handling them and saying, oh, the mother rejected it. We had to bottle feed it. We had to let the public do the bottle feeding. And USDA has just not done anything about it. So at the other end of the scale, USDA said, you know, by the time they're about 12 weeks old, they can take a finger off. So then they're too dangerous to pet. So they created this eight to 12 week window. So these cubs by USDA standards have a one month shelf life. You go to any of those places that were in Tiger King, they've always got a ton of tigers or lions or ligers for you to pay to have your picture made with. They can only use them for about a one month window, maybe two months if they lie at both ends of it as far as how old the cat is. Because again, there's no requirement that you register a birth or how, you know, when it was born or anything with anybody. So they lie about how old the cat is until the point that you look at that cat and you're like, I know. is more than 16 weeks old. And then they get cited for allowing that kind of contact, usually because somebody gets really badly hurt. And so if you're constantly every month having to breed new litters of kittens, where are all those other cats going? Because it costs us $10,000 per year per big cat just for food and vet care, not any of the overhead of the sanctuary. So it goes from being a cat that, according to Joe Schreibogel and a lot of those guys that were in Tiger King, they say they can make at least $100,000 off a cub. But by the time it's about 12 to 16 weeks old, now it's a $10,000 a year liability and they got to get rid of it as fast as they can. So they will frequently just give those animals away to people as pets. And it's always the dumbest people. I mean, you can imagine only... Either there's somebody who wants to be dominating over a cat or they are so incredibly stupid that they never make good life choices. They're like, yeah, I'll raise a tiger as a pet. And then those are the people calling us a year later and asking us to get this out of their house. I'm assuming you buy in bulk. How much is it going to cost me to have a cat? I don't want a cat. This is all hypothetical. But if like I'm one of those people, you said I buy this cub on roadside. I'm one of these, that idiot doc or whoever from one of the Tiger King. What are the expenses that go with actually maintaining one of these type of cats in your house? You know, probably 20 years ago, I did a page on bigcatrescue.org called How Much Is That Kitty in the Window? And it talked about, you know, even though you may have gotten this cat for free, here's what it's going to cost you as far as like, do you have a cage that you're going to be able to take that cat to and from the vet in? And do you have a van to put the cage in or a truck? with a trailer behind it to take your cat to the vet. And the food alone is just absolutely crazy because a tiger, I mean, a tiger can eat as much as 65 pounds at a single sitting in the wild because they only eat like once a week or once every 10 days. But in captivity, our cats eat anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds per day. And you can multiply that by the cost of whatever meat prices are in your area and figure out what you're 
daily cost is going to be. But the food that you buy in the grocery store is not sufficient for these animals. They need the entire animal. They need the organs. They need their favorite thing. All of these cats here, it's disgusting as all get out, but twice a week we give whole prey. So it's whole rats and whole rabbits. And the first thing they want to do is eat the brains. And you're not going to find that at the grocery store. You're not going to get, you know, there's no tiger supplements out there that can keep your cat healthy based on what you would be able to buy. Okay. So I'm somebody, I've got this cat. What veterinarian <laughs> is going to like say, oh, you've got a 700 pound tiger? Yeah, bring it in. Well, I have an opening tomorrow at 11 a.m. Who's doing that? I These vets, <laughs> I can't believe no vet's going to sit there and like risk his entire staff getting eaten by one of these cats. Yeah. I mean, even with us, we have two on-site hospitals here, but before we had a hospital, we had to take the cats to the vet in a transport cage. There's no vet office I've ever been to that you could get the transport cage through the door which meant we had to tranquilize the cats out in the parking lot and then carry a sleeping tiger through the parking lot into the building. And that's just insane. That is so out of this world crazy. And yet everybody who's got a pet tiger is in that kind of position. Oof, I can't I can't wrap my head around. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I get I get upset when my cat or dog like shred the bottom of my blinds. I can't even imagine <laughs> like what a 500 pound tiger is doing. It's just like, wow. So when people come to you, Carol, and they want to give you their cats because they realize they've made a horrible choice. In what scenario will you take it? And what scenario won't you take these cats? The only way that we will take cats from people is that they have to contract with us to never own another exotic cat. And we have them sign a written contract. If they have any kind of license, we have them bring that license and either write void on it. And we contact the state saying that you know they're never going to be issued another permit or license to own these animals. And we actually put in there a caveat saying, if I so much as see a picture of you on the internet touching a cat after today's date, you owe me the full lifespan of this cat, what it would cost me. And so for a tiger, we calculate $10,000 per year. And so if I take in a 10-year-old tiger and it's going to live another 10 years, then that's $100,000 that they would owe me just for showing off those pictures they had of back when it was a cute cub, or if they go someplace else and pose with a cat, because it's those images that make people want to go out and buy them and pet them. And so that's for me, the biggest thing that I want to stop is that kind of imagery. In fact, we're filming for a show and they just recently asked, well, yesterday they asked me, they were like, so could we have some pictures of you petting cats, you know, back before you learned? And I was like, no, nobody is ever going to see that. I'm not going to give it to them. I know on Tiger King, they had some pictures. I have no idea how they got their hands on, but they did not get those from me because that sends the worst possible message and it makes stupid people want to go do stupid things. So there was no way, even though that would have, that would have been eye candy for the show. I'm not going to do that. Joe Exotic or whatever that team they were digging up. We found this VHS tape from 1990. <laughs> Somebody was going through your uh, your garbage. Have you ever had to make good on that? Meaning like, have you, have you ever found someone who signed your contract and had to go after them or anything like that? Or has everyone been pretty good about it? I've never caught anybody doing that. And as you can imagine, we have on our Facebook page alone, we have something like 3.6 million people that follow us. And on YouTube, I think we've got like 1.3 million subscribers. So people know when they see an image of somebody out there petting a cat to send it to me just because they know it's going to make me <laughs> mad as all get out. And not once have I caught it being any of the people that I've 
actually had contract with me. That is good. And probably by the time they get to the point where they're giving up that animal, they're probably relieved enough that they can give it a home and probably never want to make that mistake again. And there are exceptions to that, I I should say. Like when the state goes in and they seize a bunch of animals, I'm not going to be able to contract with the owner to not do that again. So I'm betting on the fact that the state has put an end to that. Gotcha. So how does a big cat rescue? I know you have a a whole team of volunteers. Do you survive on donations and all that kind of stuff? Because you have a lot of cats times 10,000 a cat. (laughs) Yeah. Every year, I have to raise between three and a half and four million dollars a year. And every single day of my life, I'm looking at what do I have to do in order to raise that money without exploiting the cats. And it's hard. If you've ever tried to run a business, I mean, most people are happy if they make that kind of money in a year or in a lifetime. I've got to make that every single year just to take care of the animals that we have and to run the operations that we have. But the good news is that all of our animal care has always been done by volunteers, including most of our vet care has been by volunteers. And so when COVID hit and we had to cut back half of our paid staff, the only thing our paid staff do are things that people won't do for free. So things like donor management or our PR person or our outreach person, although a lot of our people do outreach for free, but the one person that I had on staff that handled all of that. I had to let them go in order to cut back the million dollars a year we were losing from the lost tour revenue. So to answer your question, as far as where the revenue comes from, about a third of our income comes from tours. And so we've lost over a million dollars a year in that tour revenue and we're still closed. And so that's why I haven't been able to hire back those 10 people. And the good thing is that the animals still got fed every day. They got cleaned every day. They got fresh water every day. They got enrichment every day. They got people reading books to them and making toys for them and making sure that they're comfortable. So that didn't suffer at all as a result of COVID or the the loss of income from that. And then the rest of our income comes primarily through private donations. We don't get any kind of government funding and we don't get a whole lot of like grants When we get grants, it's not because I go out and apply for grants. I spent a year doing that and figured out I'm really bad at it. (laughs) I spent a whole year writing grants. I got a golf cart out of it. It it just wasn't worth my time. If we get grants, it's usually from somebody who has been following us and loves the mission. And they happen to be somebody who's on the board of a grant. So they'll make sure that we get that grant. But it's been primarily just private donors that do that. Cool. And on your behalf, bigcatrescue.org slash donate if anyone wants to. My pleasure. Here's my question about people buying exotic pets now. If it's not illegal, where do people... I don't want to make this sound like it's an advertisement where you can, but is it is it from these just backdoor places that like, you know, just find people that just sell stuff? You put the word out, I'm like, Jeff's looking for a big cat. Well, there's a number of ways. There used to be a publication called the Animal Finders Guide, and it came out once a month and it had a listing. I mean, you could you could look for any kind of animal you want and find it there. And it was probably a year or so ago that they finally went out of business. And my husband and I were like, yes, <laughs> that was a champagne and brie night. <laughs> that was finally over because you should not be able to go shop in a magazine for a tiger or an emu or whatever they have in there. Auctions had been a big source of these animals. And I was talking earlier about some of the other producers that we worked with. 
Mike Weber from the conservation game, his whole thing started because he was at an exotic animal auction and they were following the reptile trade and they found that these guys like Jack Hanna and the Irwins and Dave Salmoni and all of these guys that go on late night TV, they're dealing with these private breeders. And so they were seeing some of these people at the auctions buying and selling animals. And then they were like, wait a minute. They said when they were on TV that that was from the zoo, the Columbus Zoo mostly, and that it was going back to the Columbus Zoo or it was going to go to some fabulous sanctuary. So did it. And so they, the whole premise of that film was to try and track down those animals that all of us saw on TV and all of us were lied to about where they came from and where they went and exposed that in that film. So it's not available for the public yet, but when it comes out, oh my gosh, it's premiering in a few places. We just did a DC premiere and we're going to do another one in LA next month just for a very limited showings. But once it gets wide distribution, it's going to blow the lid off of what people have thought all these years versus what the truth was behind it. Yeah, I, re- I read that. that. Part of the reason your federal bill was stalled was because of Jack Hanna. I was mortified. We've all seen him on TV, but then he retired. And then now the Columbus Zoo is all in on, on Carol Baskin and the federal bill. That hopefully will help now that that's out of the way. But that is upsetting to hear that we were duped by Mr. Hanna. I think it's okay that we mentioned how to buy it because you're going to pass that bill real soon and then they won't be able to buy him anyway. So just more motivation. <laughs> Hurry before the episode airs. <laughs> the, the biggest place that people are buying them now is from these cup petters because they've just got to get rid of them as fast as they can as soon as they are 12 to 16 weeks. And so, like I said before, a lot of times they'll just give them away in order to not have to take care of them. So... These cub, these roadside zoos, when I think of zoo, I think of my Detroit zoo. Those are probably more like roadside cages with animals that you can see. But like you're a sanctuary, though. What's what's the difference between a sanctuary that you do, just so everyone understands, and a zoo? I'm glad you asked. I just got through putting together a PowerPoint presentation on that for a event that I'm doing on Friday. But I think that was one of the worst outcomes of Tiger King is that people came away from that believing that zoos and sanctuaries were the same. And we are at polar opposite extremes, but philosophically. Zoos are in the business of buying, breeding, selling, some of them, like maybe six of them out there that allow public contact. And sometimes they will take them off site, like taking them onto the evening shows or the daytime shows or taking them out to schools or to parties or whatever. So those are the five sins is what we call that, because sanctuaries are not allowed to buy, breed, sell, allow public contact or take them off site for exhibition. So it's like everything that a zoo is, is the exact opposite of what sanctuaries are. And sadly, there is no requirement that if you are calling yourself a sanctuary, that you really be a sanctuary. So there's been times in the past when Joe called his place a sanctuary. And that apparently was where we first had an interaction. I didn't, I wasn't aware of it for years, but he was aware of the fact that I've been quoted in a newspaper article because he had had a lion cub that was born there deformed. And so the reporter called me and they said, what do you think about this GW sanctuary having this lion cub born? And I said, well, sanctuaries don't breed. And so that's what got Joe started on his whole tirade from like 2006 forward. I didn't know who he was until 2010. The only thing that we have in common is that we have cats in cages. And that seemed to be where Tiger King tried to put the emphasis is, you know, she has cats in cages and he has cats in cages and there's no difference. And it's like, (laughs) 
there couldn't be any more difference between the philosophy of a place who is in the business of having animals in cages and somebody like us who's trying to put ourselves out of business because we shouldn't have to rescue from awful situations. We need to just end the awful situations. And that's going to be the first step to actually saving these cats in the wild. So I can't wait for the day that every single one of our cages is empty because that means we actually succeeded on this front. Right. And I think that's an important point is that everything that you do, everything Carol Baskin does is to put herself out of business, make it so that what you do doesn't have to exist. So if you think about like the Tiger King having that kind of frame, then Carol Baskin is the hero of Tiger King. If it was framed how you thought it should have been and actually taken through this type of path where it was really about the animals and saving the animals and the good things that good people do, like you're doing, to protect them and, and, and help them not go extinct. And I sat through Tiger King. We binge watched it like everybody else did because we were like, what the heck is this? And at the end, we just looked at each other and said, well, that was a missed opportunity because it had all of the opportunity to do exactly what you just said. And it just totally missed the mark. And people don't understand any better now than they did before Tiger King, that all of this captive breeding is the problem, not the answer. Right. Like we said earlier, it could have been the the blackfish. Instead, it went with just trash TV. And unfortunately, I think like we said, like, like with the pandemic, it, it caught fire because of that. So let me ask you this question. How did you deal with all this? I mean, here you have like an episode that kind of frames that you, you killed your husband and you're just, you're horrible and you're a hypocrite and you know, everything Joe Exotic tried to paint you with. And then even after that, the, the TikTok jingles and the memes and how did you mentally get through that? I mean, that can destroy people like the, even just a hundredth of what probably you had to go through. <laughs> like how, I mean, I know you speak about big cats and conservation and sanctuaries and zoos. I mean, this would be a whole thread that you could, I'm sure, talk to lots of people about is how to handle this type of onslaught on social media as if they're treating you like you're not even a person. I think that that had been Joe's MO from the beginning was to try and dehumanize me. And so he would go on his YouTube channel every night and post all kinds of images with my head on the bodies of all different kinds of either people or things. And just anything that he could do to make it seem like I was subhuman and that I was, by all of the allegations that he made about me and about the disappearance of my husband, that I felt like he was trying to justify his hatred toward me and to try and instill that kind of hatred in others because he was constantly pressuring his viewing audience, which I understood later was to be about under 80 people <laughs> through that whole time, which I didn't know how many people were watching him. But he seemed to be trying so hard to get them to, and he said, to rape me, to break my legs, to silence me, to kill me kill my family, to kill the animals. And I think once he realized that nobody was going to do that on his behalf is when he started trying to hire people to do it. And so people had been calling me from 2015 forward saying that he had tried to pay them to come and kill me and that they felt like I needed to know. And I turned that over to the FBI and they just never did anything about it until the last one that you guys heard about in Tiger King. But as far as how I dealt with all of that hatefulness, it really came as such a total shock at first. I didn't know what to think because my husband and I are sitting there on the couch. We just finished watching this thing. We've said, well, that was a missed opportunity. And then my phone started ringing and it rang 
like every two minutes for the next three months straight with people just screaming obscenities at me and saying how they wanted to kill me and they wanted to kill the animals. I'm like, why do you want to kill the animals? And they said, because they don't belong in cages. And I'm like, did you not get that about me? Did did you watch that whole thing? And you don't understand that the reason these people hate me is because I don't believe these animals belong in cages. And apparently they didn't get it because that was their reality. And I mean, people from all around the world were calling day and night. It was a lot harder on my family than it was on me. Because from my perspective, I know who I am. I know what the truth is. I know what the mission has always been. I know what the relationship was with Don. And people saying those hateful things to me can't make all of their beliefs my reality. But for the people who love me, I think it was so hard for them because they felt like they had to protect me. And if you think about, you know, if if some show came out tomorrow and you were that painted villain and you're like, no, I'm not, it wouldn't affect you. But everybody around you would be like wanting to protect you and have your back and speak up for you. And it just puts so much pressure on them. So I think maybe the best way that somebody could understand that is what if it happened to somebody you loved? If it were your mother or your daughter or your spouse, your beloved, you know, if somebody were saying or doing those things and talking that way about them, how would that affect you? And I think you may have a a better understanding of what my family went through. It's hard to even imagine. I, the, what I've come to learn from talking to a lot of, of different people is whether it be a documentary, a reality show, even America's Got Talent, any of those, somebody's a hero, somebody's a villain. It's just the way that producers and people who make TV try to manipulate us. You can't have a hero without a villain. There always has to be all the parts being played. And so I I can only imagine thinking what you thought the show was going to be and sitting there with your husband, Howard, and watching this and uh, didn't break you. That's what's important, I think, and that you're too strong for that, and you're you know still fighting the good fights, and you're protecting the animals, and focused on the important thing. And the other guy that we won't talk about is in jail for a long time. So uh, I wanted to ask you about Dancing with the Stars. What made you do the show? As you can imagine, after Tiger King, my phone was also exploding with people in the media wanting to talk about Tiger King. And that still is true today. I was so shocked by what had happened. And I felt so betrayed by the producers that I just told everybody no. And I put them in a list because I'm organized like that. So I put them in a spreadsheet. And my daughter saw the spreadsheet. And she said, well, you've got to do Jimmy Fallon. And you've got to do Dancing with the Stars because I love that show. I don't watch regular TV. So I'd never heard of dancing. Well, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what the concept was. And so I thought, well, that could be cool because maybe they could pair me up with a celebrity. And if I had a celebrity to go with me to D.C., maybe we could get more of these members of Congress on our bill. Because whenever you have a bill before Congress, stupidly, the first question they want to know is what celebrities are behind this. It's like, what do celebrities know about conservation? Why would you even ask me that? But the reason is they want those photo ops and they want those selfies and they want to be able to show their constituents that they have celebrity power. And so that's why I thought, well, that'd be a great thing to do if I could go to the show and find a celebrity. And then I found out that I was supposed to be the celebrity and was like, well, that sucks. (laughs) But the good thing was that we negotiated for weeks and partly about COVID because I wanted to be really careful about that. But the other thing was that I wanted a platform to talk about what was important, the everything that Tiger King had left out about protecting tigers. And so they said that I'd be able to do that in my packages. And they said there's a lot of media coverage that they get 
where I could talk about whatever I wanted to. As long as I was willing to talk to the press, I could make it my show and it would be all about tigers. And so they did that and they were amazing. I mean, in addition to the packages that they did, they would have me like I'd be sitting in my car waiting to go in and rehearse and they'd have like a lineup of 10 or 20 different radio stations that we were doing like just one right after the other or magazines or all of those. And I got to talk about the Tigers. So I think that really started getting the discussion out there about the federal bill and why we needed it. And so it was a great opportunity that they gave me. And the side benefit is people got to see that, you know, who I am as I watched Tiger King, you know, seven times in order to do that page at bigcatrescue.org slash Netflix that you mentioned that goes minute by minute. I hadn't seen all of that stuff in about a year. So I just went back and watched it. And what I found was amazing is people seemed to think that I was so lacking in a personality. And I looked at Tiger King. It was like, yeah, when they filmed that, I was like catatonic because I'd been in front of this freaking camera for 16 hours and I was starving and I needed something to drink. And I was just like nearly comatose and looked at and it's like, well, no wonder people would think that about me because that's what they saw. And so it gave me the opportunity to show that I'm pretty much game for anything at least once. And I think that helped a bit. You danced to What's New Pussycat? No, first it was Eye of the Tiger, then What's New Pussycat, then Circle of Life, and then you got eliminated after that third one. Did they eliminate you for the dancing or did they run out of cat songs? Oh, no, we had a whole bunch of cat songs. (laughs) It was because I couldn't dance. (laughs) <laughs> One of the reasons Carol I refuse to become famous is I don't want to end up on Dancing with the Stars. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Like some people are like, oh, I would never want to talk in front of people. I was like, being on Dancing with the Stars to me would be like the the worst thing ever, and it looks hard. It's so hard. Oh my gosh. I mean, I I practiced and practiced and they gave me an apartment that had hardwood floors. And so I moved all of the furniture into one bedroom. And then I would film my dance partner, Pasha Pashkov, every night with the steps that I needed for the next day. And he would do my steps so that I could play it on the TV. And then I would practice in the apartment. By the time I was scratched, my feet were actually dripping blood and pus from just so much work in those shoes to try and make that happen. And I still couldn't make it happen. So those people are true athletes. It's it's amazing. So is there like one last thought you can leave us with just in terms of anything we can do to help you with the whole big cat initiative, the federal bill, anything like that? Anybody who's in the U.S., we make it really easy for you to contact your member of Congress. And we have a website at bigcatact.com. You type in your name and address. It looks up who your member of Congress is. It pre-fills out an email so you don't even have to understand what you're saying. You can just read it. It says, please ask your boss to co-sponsor the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which bans cub petting and phases out private ownership. And it will send a tweet, an email, or if you are really brave, you can make a call and it gives you a little script to say there. And if you call at night or on the weekends, there's nobody there. You're talking to an answering machine. So that's the most important thing anybody can do because we're really trying to get that before the house in the next few weeks here in July. And that could actually make it happen and it could end this abuse for these big cats. And if you're not in the U.S., Whenever you see people posing with cubs or petting adult cats and showing off with them, call them out on it. 
They're just showing off. It's all about ego. It's not at all the words that are coming out of their mouth. Look at what they're doing. And then you really know what they're what they're about. I will put all those links in the show notes so people have access to those. Is there a place, you, do you hang out on social media? Is there a place that people can follow you other than bigcatrescue.org? We are on all the social channels as Big Cat Rescue. So it's at Big Cat Rescue or Big Cat Rescue anywhere that you want to go. And I don't think we mentioned earlier, but we have about 100 to 120 volunteers here at the sanctuary. We have over 200 that work with us online. So they are there. They're trained to answer your questions, to be nice to you, to invite you in and really get to know you if you're an animal lover. And so please reach out to us on any of those social channels and you will be surrounded by people who love big cats. Awesome. And for everyone listening, definitely check out bigcatrescue.org. Carol Baskin also has a YouTube channel. For all the questions you're wondering why I didn't ask during this, Carol goes into hours of detail in very short segmented YouTube videos that are enjoyable to watch, answers everything you need to know about Tiger King from her side that was completely eliminated from the show that we all watched. So I definitely encourage everyone to check that out. Carol, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. This was so much fun. Can you call me a cool cat one more time? (laughs) Jeff Gloskin, you are one cool cat. (laughs) Thank you. All right. How amazing was Carol Baskin, everybody? It was such a joy to talk with Carol. I do encourage everyone who wants to help out, get that bill passed to go on to bigcatrescue.org, get the information that we talked about in the interview. You can check out that, the donation page, the pages on why cub petting is bad, and Carol's very extensive discussion on Tiger King. It's all there, bigcatrescue.org. I'll put all the links in the show notes as well so you have easy access to those, and we can all do our part to help save the big cats. All right, well... Can you believe it? We're nearing the end of another episode. Episode 64 has come and almost gone. But you know what that means? That means it's time for another hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag Roundup. Follow hashtag Roundup on Twitter at hashtag Roundup and download the free hashtag Roundup app at the Apple Store or Google Store. Tweet along with hashtag Roundup and the family of games at hashtag Roundup. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit the Jeff Duoskin Show. How exciting would that be to tell all your friends and family that your tweets were famous? This week's hashtag is a fun one. Hashtag if cats controlled the government from Crash Tags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup, a fun game that asks its participants, what would government be like if cats were in control? And here's some funny ones for you to enjoy. As always, all these are retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter, and they'll be listed in the show notes. Retweet them, show them some love. All right, ladies and gentlemen, get ready for hashtag if cats controlled the government. The catnip would have been legalized a long time ago. The State of the Union address wouldn't be so catastrophic. Their working hours would be between 2 and 6 a.m. so they can get a full 20 hours of sleep. These are some great hashtag if cats controlled the government tweets. And here's some more. Fish would be currency. Soft kitty would be our national anthem. Soft kitty, warm kitty, little ball of fur. Imagine what a great world that would be. Garfield would run the Department of Lasagna Culture. If cats controlled the government, we'd be in much safer paws. Yarn would play a greater role in world art. 
there'd be a lot of dog blaming. Equal representation regardless of age, fur, color, or neutering status. The corners of all federal buildings would be designated grooming stations. Cardboard boxes for everyone. If cats controlled the government, Jewish space lasers would be public enemy number one. (laughs) And finally, hashtag if cats controlled the government, fish taco trucks on every corner. Oh, all right. Those were some amazing hashtag if cats controlled the government tweets. The end of the tweets means the end of the episode. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, the end of episode 64. I want to thank my special guests, Carol Baskin. I want to thank CK and Dan and Google for helping me with some of the cat puns (laughs) from earlier. I want to thank all of you for stopping by week after week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.